Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. We are hunters, anglers, riders, and sometimes chefs. Our passion for the outdoor lifestyle motivated the foundation of Harvesting Nature, which serves as a media outlet built to inspire and educate the outdoor expert, and novice alike. Our podcast focuses on the technical side of cooking wild fish and game while also incorporating adventures and lessons learned from our pursuit of wild meat. Join us on our journey of harvesting nature. Hey everyone, welcome to uh, Harvesting Nature Wild Fishing Game podcast. You got Justin here uh, with a couple guys from the crew. Uh, we got two special guests, uh, one new guest and one uh, gentleman who will be joining our crew moving forward and this is also the kickoff episode of season two so as many of you know we put up 20 episodes in season one took a little break for independence day and uh now we're back in action ready to uh to talk more hunting fishing wild game cooking and and all the above related so without further ado i'll i'll let uh let everybody introduce himself colin Hey everybody, this is Colin uh, coming back. I think, I think this is my first one from Oregon, right? Or maybe my second one, something like that. Well, regardless, I'm in Oregon now, uh, firmly planted. Um, before this, we were just talking. Uh, I just got a whole bunch of uh, a bird and waterfowl and and upland bird tags today, and uh, looking forward. I also picked up a leftover elk tag, but. Um, Welcome, Will. Welcome, Anthony. Glad to be back. Yeah, and we got uh, Corey with us. Hey, everybody. How's it going? I'm excited to talk to Anthony and uh, and to meet Will. Get a little, little bit, know a little bit about him. Yeah, nice. And uh, Anthony, I'll go ahead and let you introduce yourself. Thanks, guys. Um, yeah, my name's Anthony Pace. I'm the founder and CEO of uh, Freedom Hunters. Uh, so we're a military outreach program and we take servicemen and their families 
out on outdoor adventures, everything from hunting, fishing, um, shooting adventures, um, you know, pretty much anything to get uh, our veterans and their families outdoors. Yeah, and that's outstanding, which, like I told you earlier, is one of the reasons we're definitely excited to talk to you, you know, with uh, three and four of us being uh, active duty in the military definitely see the value in uh, the veteran and the service member, active service member outreach and uh, is a good outlet for, you know, all the, the work and stress and things that, that go through that process that can be distributed in a healthy manner in the hunting and fishing uh, field, I guess. And so I'm also really happy that we have Will on the show today. So Will's a uh, longtime friend uh, and a new member of the Harvest Nature team. So he's going to be joining us in the podcast rotation. So I'll give Will a chance to introduce himself and tell you a little bit about himself. Hey, guys. Uh, I'm Will. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm glad I'm able to join Justin and uh, Colin, Anthony, and Corey in uh, season two here. Just a little background about myself since this is my uh, first time on the show. Uh, born and raised in Texas, so grew up hunting whitetail, hogs, all your normal Texas game. Uh, and as I grew up, went to college. Uh, in college, I was a, uh, a hunting guide for several of the bigger ranches out there, mainly guiding uh, big whitetail hunts, uh, both archery and rifle, and then uh, progressing into more of the exotic hunts. Uh, from there, continued my hunting career into mainly the Western states, love hunting, Montana, Wyoming, Idaho, some of my favorites. Uh, Got the chance to hunt in Alaska last year. Loved it up there. Got to pull some deer and bear tags up there. Uh, great eye-opening experience. Um, besides hunting, I love to fish. Fly fishing is a big passion of mine. I usually make a trip out to Colorado or this last year I kind of switched it up and went up to Pyramid Lake to chase some uh, trophy cutthroats. But uh, I'm happy to be here with Justin and the guys and uh, see what uh, what goes on. Yeah, well, welcome, Will, and uh, we're really excited to have you as part of the team, and we're looking forward to hearing some more stories and uh, adventure tales as, as we get into it and as time progresses. Uh, but today, really want to chat a lot with Anthony about Freedom Hunters and, and sort of his story. So, uh, Anthony, really curious about uh, your story and how you got involved in hunting and fishing and, and what led you to... Uh, find or found or create uh freedom hunters as an organization well as a as a family you know i grew up uh with with my dad and grandpa and uncles and cousins you know getting outdoors and that was you know one of the best things that that we always did and the thing i looked forward to every year you know whether it was you know going fishing in the summertime or or waiting for fall to roll around and, and start hunting so um you know, as I started to see, um, you know, the continued uh, stress on, on the forces and, and uh, you know, missing season after season between deployment and, and training, you know, I, I kept thinking, what can I do to, to maybe help out, say thank you for your service. And uh, so that's what I did. I, you know, founded Freedom Hunters and Hal started thinking about it in, in 2004 and 2005 and finally took our first um, active duty um, serviceman out on a, a hunting 
trip in Texas um, in 2006. And so we've been going strong ever since. And, you know, we've kind of grown. I've got volunteers all over the country. And, uh, you know, Corey found us last year or the year before, I guess, and, uh, you know, put together a pheasant hunt. We helped coordinate it and, and put everything together. And, you know, it's it's been great to see the volunteers come out of the woodwork and uh, different opportunities that's come forth from from different people, everybody, all kinds of different backgrounds and different uh, skill sets in the outdoors that we've been able to utilize and and capitalize on. And it's it's been exciting to see what's happened. And, you know, we're getting now about 300 different outings a year, getting about 1,500 guys out um, and, and trying to grow every day. Wow, that's, that's really incredible. Um, I guess I am curious, so... And within those 1,500, uh, how many are active, roughly, how many are active duty? How many would you say are, are veterans and family members? Who, who all is your sort of target audience whenever you're, you're looking to set up these, these adventures for them? You know, and it, it varies on, on each adventure. I would say on an average, we're probably taking 70, 80% veterans and then the rest would be active duty and family members. But uh, a lot of a lot of times on the adventures, uh, you know, whoever's coordinating it, uh, whether it's it's put on by an outfitter or a sportsman, uh, you know, they'll maybe suggest which way they want to go. They want to take a wounded vet, or they want to take um, you know an active duty guy, or they want to take a gold star family member. So it really just depends on how the the adventures come in. Uh, which direction that ends up going, but it, it, like I say, it tends, tends to be mostly veterans. And I mean, I, you know, arguably so there's the veteran population is much larger than the active duty population as, as time goes on to sort of get fed into that cycle of being active and then becoming veteran and all that. So it only makes sense that that, that probably matches the, the population I'm, I'm sure, uh, to an extent. Um, so a little bit more about you. Um, are you still pretty active in, in hunting outside of, of the adventures with, with Freedom Hunters? Uh, not as much as I'd like to. <laughs> it, <laughs> you know, it, it, a lot of my time is, is focused on, on setting up adventures and doing things and, uh, for the veterans. So it does take away from, you know, maybe personal time, which, you know, it's, it's hugely rewarding to, uh, you know, be out there and be with the veterans and let them have the success in the field. Um, you know, and I, I don't even get to do that as much as I'd like. Um, but it's, uh, you know, I still enjoy hunting and, you know, excited about this year. I drew a, a ranching for wildlife tag for deer here in Colorado. And, um, you know, it's, I've been applying for 17 years. So it's exciting to get that hunt and uh, we'll we'll see how it turns out in the end. Nice. Well, I wish you luck with that hunt. That um, I know it's always rewarding when they get the cash in on those points and that time time invested. Um, where uh, I guess so you're located in Colorado. I am. Yes. Yeah. Wh- whereabouts in Colorado, if you don't mind me asking? Um, Elizabeth. It's southeast of Denver. Okay. Um, we're far enough away. I don't claim it as a suburb. nice um and you you travel a lot for a a lot of the events 
Yeah, most most of my travel is actually for the trade shows and and uh, working with freedom hunters. I I don't get to travel to a lot of the hunts that we set up or fishing trips. Um, it would be nice, but that would I would be traveling probably most of the year just Ooh. just going to each event and. You know, again, I'd rather spend the money to get the vets there than to to get myself to anything like that. It's, it's very noble because uh, it could easily – I could see it easily for someone else. It could slip another way and be like, ah, I want to go on every one. But that often puts strain in other parts of lives, I would imagine. So um, whenever you are getting an opportunity to hunt, what's what's your favorite thing to get out and hunt and, and what do you like to chase? You know, I really like just about everything. I, I don't know that I'm really proficient at any particular um, hunting or fishing aspect, but, um, you know, I think I like the bird hunting, upland hunting, probably the most, um, just because you get a lot of trigger time. Um, you know, I, I enjoy the big game hunting as well, but, you know, you, you can spend days taking a hike with your gun and, and not having an opportunity to, to even get a shot. Which you know, again, that's that's part of the experience and mm-hmm. enjoyable. But I I do like to pull the trigger. That's fair. <laughs> that's fair. It's a, it's hard to argue with that. Is the old theory of like you said, going uh, if you're not out, you're not actively taking game, and there's a fine line. Are you really hunting, and you're really just going for a, a prolonged hike? So, um, it's definitely understandable. So, um, do you have favorite wild game you like to eat? Out of the, you know, the meats, you know, I really like it all. So you That's know, good. Um, you know, I like a good deer roast. How, how about your wife, Anthony? Does she like to eat the wild game as well? Not so much. She'll she'll tolerate it. It's normally myself and my son who are enjoying it. <laughs> she'll tolerate <laughs> it, but that's about it. That's fair. I uh, I run into that same thing at my house. My wife's uh, pretty much a pescatarian, so she eats primarily just fish and, and vegetables and all that. So it ends up being my daughter and myself that consume the majority of our wild game. So definitely relate with you there. Uh, do you have a favorite recipe? You know, um, I guess with what I like to do, um, like with the deer roast, um, you know, I make a, a green chili out of it. So I'll, I'll take and, you know, cook the roast in a crock pot, get it to where, you know, the, the meat's falling off the bone and then shred that up and then put that into, a, you know, a green chili. Um, so it'd be kind of a tomato based um, with the meat and a bit of broth in there. And then, uh, you know, the key to that is, you know, the roasted chilies and that, uh, you know, I, I could eat that every day. You go for it like tacos over rice, bread. Um, just mainly as a soup, you know. You and you can put it over, um, you know, a burrito or or something along that line. But you know, for me, it's I just mainly eat it straight up as a soup. Seems like a good hearty soup for sure. I've seen it. Uh, a lot of people they'll take hominy and throw in there too, which uh, gives it a little extra, a little extra volume. You, you get out fishing much? Not a, not a ton, really. Um, I'm a pretty poor fisherman. So I try to make it out a few times a year, but, you know, it's it's mainly getting the line wet and catching fish. Now, Anthony, has your uh, 
has your son taken an affinity to maybe hunting or fishing or kind of how is the family dynamic working with you passing down that legacy? Yeah, my son really enjoys hunting, you know, and he, he does like fishing too. So, um, but I, I think hunting's his big passion and, um, for him, you know, big game is, is the big hunt for him every year. That's good. Do you guys get out together and hunt? I guess I, I don't know how old he is or his age, but, uh, if you guys get the opportunity to go out together. Yeah, he's, he's 16. So, you know, he's just a few years into hunting big game, but yeah, we do get out. We, you know, we have a family hunt where we hunt pronghorn together. So that's always a good time. So it'll be my dad and my brother and, and my son and my wife hunts too. Um, so we've got a big group of family on, on that. And that's always a nice part. It's a, you know, it's a pretty social hunt. Mm-hmm. Most of the time you're, you're in the truck scouting. So you get to, you know, spend some time, tell some stories. So that's, that's always the fun part, you know, and we're pretty on those kind of hunts. We're, we're pretty successful. So it's that's good. You, know, you guys do the pronghorn there in, uh, in Colorado. We do. Yeah. We go down in, you know, Southern Colorado and, um, you know, it's, it's nice. My cousin's got a ranch down there. It's not a very big ranch. So it's, uh, you know, if the antelope are there, they're there. If not, you know, you spend a lot of time looking at, uh, at weeds and sagebrush. <laughs> I think that's true. Yeah. Antelopes all over. I've been going now for the past couple of years, uh, up to Wyoming. We hunt in, uh, in Eastern Wyoming and, uh, it's the same thing. It's like you can spend all day trying to find them and, and maybe miss them. But I do like the fact that they, unlike deer, they, they tend to move all day long. So you can spend your entire day out in the field and, uh, you know, versus just an evening or a, a morning hunt and they kind of just standing by. But, uh, yeah, when they're not there, <laughs> it's hard because there's nothing much else to look at. You know, and it's, it's so funny because you're, you know, you're looking and looking, glassing everywhere for them. You don't see anything. And then the next thing, you know, they're there in the middle of the field and you're like, you know, I think maybe that's why they call them the prairie ghosts. <laughs> yep. Where'd they come from? <laughs> Anthony, I've, uh, I've gone hunting a couple of times out in Colorado and towards Fort Collins, north of Fort Collins area, um, just for mule deer and everything. I've got a cousin that lives up there, but, uh, they have like group hunting opportunities, right? For, draw for tags and draws do you usually do the group hunting uh application for your family and everyone that you go hunt with sounds like you got a pretty sizable group yeah normally we don't do the group um you can apply as a group the Mm -hmm. the problem there is if either you all draw or you know nobody draws okay so the nice nice thing with um applying individually in, in our circumstance is um you know someone will draw a pronghorn tag, um, yep. you know, and it, it may, you know, the nice thing is, and it seems to be working this way, uh, you know, where every year someone's getting a buck tag and somebody's getting a doe tag. Okay. So we we normally have a variety of tags for that particular hunt. And it just worked out to where preference point wise, you normally have to have in the area where we hunt pronghorn, you have to have at least one, preference point to draw a buck tag okay so the it's it's working to where my either my dad or my son or my brother or my wife will have a buck tag and you know i'm i'm still playing the preference point game with 
with pronghorn and saving up. So yeah, I'm, I'm stuck with doe tags every year. <laughs> if, if I draw <laughs> the meat tags. All right, cool. So one thing I want to point out to you, Colin, uh, yeah. since, so Anthony, give you a little background, Colin's sort of coming newer into the hunting game. So he's, especially as he's moved out West is starting to, to grow and learn more about a lot of the draw systems and a lot of the way the, the Western hunting works and important thing to point out with the, the group is the fact that, um, if you, if you put in as a group and anybody in the group has preference points, then that will be evenly distributed throughout the group in most cases. Um, so if you have somebody, one person in the group has three preference points and three people put in as a group, each person's going to get one preference point. Okay. So it might actually diminish your chances. Yeah. So that's, that's something to think about. Uh, but another good thing is, is if you have, if you look at a strategy, uh, we're kind of taken with elk this year where I'm putting in for a lot of different elk hunts, knowing I'm not going to get them, but I'm going to start building preference points. Yeah. And then next year, somebody else will hop on. And then in the instance we do or don't draw now, four years down the road, we've got this culmination of preference points built up and now we throw in as a group and then, you know, now the, our chances are even better. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Thanks. Corey, does that, sorry, does that sort of mix with how you guys have it in, uh, in Colorado, Anthony? Um, so for Colorado, um, the preference points don't carry over okay. from, from person to person. Yeah. So, um, you know, again, if you're apply, applying for an area that requires two or three preference points um, and somebody is in that group that has no preference points, um, it just totally diminishes your chances and the chance of drawing for that unit's impossible from what I understand. And that's fair. Yeah. So Wyoming's a little different then? Wyoming is a little different when we put in, uh, for, for our mule deer tags. Yeah, it was a little different this year. And, uh, Corey, how is it for, I know elk in Pennsylvania, you have preference points. I'm not familiar with the other zones. Yeah. I think that's the only thing that has preference points. Um, and if we do have, uh, group applications, I'm not aware of them because I've never done it. So, but uh, I apply for elk each year, and I haven't gotten it yet. But odds are pretty slim and for a PA elk. But uh, I build up my preference points. I have a half a dozen or so now. But I don't expect to, to get drawn anytime soon. Not with that attitude. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I put in. This is my first year putting in Pennsylvania, and I, I'm going to draw. I know it. <laughs> yeah, last year I put in for the first ever Pennsylvania archery elk, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I feel good. I'm going to get it." But they only they only drew five tags, so my chances were pretty. <laughs> <up>. <laughs> That's pretty slow. I think I don't know if. Uh, for me, if that mentality makes me feel better or for worse, I spent, so Kentucky does their elk draw. They did it this year online on, on Facebook. So you can go watch it and you literally watch like, uh, I think it's like rifle bull, rifle cow, 
uh, archery cow, archery bull, and they go through it and they, they basically go in alphabetical order and they're like, Jim Brown, Larry Jones, like all the way through. And you're just like sitting there waiting, waiting, waiting. And then they hit the, for me, they hit the T's. And I was like, no, I didn't get it. But, oh man. I think, and they, they have, we have a big, the, uh, there's a state park in the middle of elk country that has a nice big visitor center. And they do the drawing there and it draws a really big crowd. And I think they might live stream that too. I've never watched it, but I think they do. I don't think they go in alphabetical order though. I think they literally are pulling names out of a hat and calling them out. It's crazy. I hope my name's one of those names, but I don't know if they're going to do it in person this year. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, good point. Well, so that's uh that leads me to a good question for you, Anthony. Um, have you guys how are you guys dealing with the effects of COVID both for freedom hunters and personally in your your hunting um, planning for the fall, I guess? Well, our spring was hit pretty hard with COVID, so we ended up uh, having a few events canceled and unfortunately the the pheasant hunt that uh, Corey put together was one of the victims. Um, but uh, it, it's pretty tough. We, we lost a few turkey hunts. We still were able to get a few guys out here and there, um, you know, and had to change up plans. We had a, a, a bear hunt in uh, British Columbia uh, that we had a U.S. veteran going on, and we had to cancel that. But uh, instead, uh, the outfitters up there were obviously hurting with uh, not having uh, the U.S. hunters being able to cross the border. So we uh, switched it up a bit and we ended up taking uh, four Canadian veterans oh, nice. uh, on uh, bear hunts up there. And so they had a great time. They, uh, three of the four connected. And I think the fourth guy could have taken a bear. He was just waiting for the big one to come out and it never, never did have an opportunity to pull the trigger, but they all had a great time up there. That's good. Uh, I'm definitely curious. It's, I've seen a lot of mixed signals in the the hunting industry, both how COVID-19 is, is inhibited and, and then allowed for extra opportunity. So it's, it's always neat to see sort of where, I guess not neat for some people, but it's, it's interesting to see what side of the line people's it's this line on. Like we, you know, uh, here in Florida, we have pretty unique, just due to where we were not being able to travel and go hunt. But uh, I know for a lot of other hunters in Florida, it, it opened up a lot of opportunities. So, and the fishing, everybody hit the water uh, there, but in the same regard too, there weren't as many boats out because you didn't have people visiting. So the water visibility was better. The fish are moving around more in places where they are kind of hit pretty hard before. So uh, it's interesting to see those, those things as well. And I'm curious how, the effects of people either not getting out in certain areas or getting out more is going to translate into more next season than this season with seeing how populations are, are either rebounding or, or getting hit harder due to more pressure. Yeah, I would, I would think um, that the, you know, the animal population is definitely going to increase for, you know, turkeys and, and bears, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, the bad part is, um, you know, the, what's that going to going to do? Is that going to, you know, then affect the population because of, you know, maybe not enough habitat to support 
the extra animals that weren't harvested. Um, so it's, it is going to be an interesting thing to see how it all, you know, boils down in the end. And I think it, it may even take us a couple years just to see the results, you know, the, the way studies and research work to sort of understand and wrap our heads around. But I think it's a very important thing just to kind of step outside the box and think about this, how something that we think of affecting, oh, mate, this affects the human race. But now we have to start looking out now, how's it affecting the rest of the animal world and, and the hunting and fishing? Because it's going to be something that it's it's like a ripple effect. And, you know, looking at the way COVID's shaping the, the natural world, not just from a like a, a sickness and human effect perspective, but like I said, with how it's playing on animals and stuff too. And, you know, there's a lot of debate about more people getting out fishing and all that. And then more people putting in applications for hunting. And of course, looking at that, those are, those numbers are more regulated in the fall for hunting season zone, but what's it's going to mean for now you have somebody who may have got an interest in the spring, uh, who, you know, may have not been hunting, had their hunter safety in the past, and now they're, they're up and rolling for the fall and they're hunting in areas where they wouldn't normally go to because now this whole conversation of food security and, uh, meat shortages and things are going on. So I'm, I'm curious to see how that's going to play out in the future as well. I had the, uh, I guess, fortune or misfortune, however you look at it, of talking to uh, ODFW today because I had a tag issue, so I had to call them. But um, the guy there, I asked him about it. He said that uh, they have seen a noticeable increase in the number of uh, tags and licenses applied for this year. Um, and they think it was due to, I mean, they're, they're are attributing it to COVID, but, uh, they actually expected it to be more preference point applications. And instead they got more, uh, just general hunting license and tags and controlled hunt applications than they expected. So at least one state, um, it's definitely noticeable. It's good. And I mean, I correspond that with the, the numbers I've looked at in Florida too. So yeah. I don't know, uh, Corey. Have you had a chance to take a look at any any numbers or stats up there? I know your guys' season is just kind of opening up for license. Yeah, they they haven't released any kind of information as far as that goes, so I'm not sure. Same as usual and, for me, and, though. Yeah, um, Anthony, have you have you heard anything around in your circles in Colorado of, of more people getting involved, newer hunters coming in? I haven't heard anything specifically, but I'm I'm sure that's the case. You know, again, I think people started to look when when the shelves were bare in the grocery stores at their friends and neighbors that were uh, hunters and anglers, saying, um, you know, if things get pretty rough, can I come over to your freezer? <laughs> <laughs> So I, I think it's uh, I think it's a good thing in, in that aspect. And, you know, I think people are spending a lot more time outdoors and, um, you know, maybe reconnecting. So I, I think that's a good thing for for hunters and anglers and for the future of the sports. Yeah, I agree. Especially, too, I, I would like to see some some of the younger generations coming in uh, to the sport and, and new people of all generations. But. I think um, this could be a, a question of, you know, looking at the retention and recruitment of, of hunters like this. This could have 
been a really good thing for for the industry as a whole um, by sort of reminding people of the origins and and why we have hunting, you know, in its basic form, like despite what it's evolved to in different ways today, like why people began hunting is a source of food. So um, it, it brings a lot of hope for me. But let's, uh, I, I do want to dive a little deeper and talk some more about um, freedom hunters uh, in particularly. So we talked a little bit of generally about um, getting veterans and service members and their families out hunting. Um, when you were sort of looking at the creation and the foundation of that, I guess, what was your main driving point? What motivated you most to say, you know, I, I want to reach out and help veterans and active duty and their families. What, what sort of created that thought in your mind? Sure. And I, I think it really stemmed from conversations I had, uh, you know, with other people in the outdoor industry and, uh, you know, it was kind of one of those things, well, you know, somebody's doing something, you know, why can't I? And, uh, you know, I really wanted to do something, you know, really just to say thank you for your service. What I didn't realize when I started it, um, what kind of impact it had, you know, mentally and physically for for guys who are, are suffering from, you know, from battle wounds, both internally and externally. Um, you know, the healing power of being outdoors and connecting with other veterans is is amazing. You know, we've had story after story of, of you know, veterans and from their family members after they've come back from outings that have, has just, you know, it tears you up inside, you know, just thinking, you know, how could, how could a simple half-day fishing trip, you know, turn someone's life around? Um, but it does. It's, uh, it's amazing what being outdoors can do to heal the soul. I would think that definitely you know, the outdoors being a, a place of natural healing, but also getting in touch with that, as you mentioned, sort of connecting with other veterans. Cause I think that's one of the things is, as you hear and talk with people, or at least myself, you talk with veterans and, and guys who are getting out is that sort of fear of, of losing that connection. And, you know, being in, being in the military myself, understanding like, Hey, I work with these people and we're working in this unique situation and we have this connection that I don't have with someone else who's off the street and I I will never have because we've we've we have a shared suffrage, we have a shared, you know, stress level and commitment of responsibility and all the other things that come with it that you can't sit down to someone over a cup of coffee and explain what that feels like. Or even some people can't bring themselves to explain what that feels like. And I, I think it's – I want our listeners to understand a lot, too, that having a point and someone to talk to and, and someone with that shared experience I know means a lot, both in service and a lot of the people, veterans and stuff I know, too. So um, I think it's really great that you're facilitating these, you know, by taking multiple veterans out in addition to just taking uh, – one or two. I think it's great. And it, it's an awesome thing that a lot of people should think about doing, uh, for their community. I mean, it, it takes nothing to say, reach out to someone and say, Hey, do you want to go hunting or do you want to go fishing? So. Yeah, it really doesn't, it doesn't take a lot of effort. Um, you know, I think a lot of people have the fear of, 
you know, what, what if I get some guy that is, um, you know, mentally unstable or, um, you know, the Chris Kyle syndrome, but, um, you know, to be honest, I mean, we've taken over 10,000 veterans and family members out and, um, you know, there, there are times maybe where you say, I, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I'd like to have that guy back out on adventure, but it, it's mainly more of a personality trait than anything else. Um, you know, but it's, it's simple to do. And, um, you know, the guys are so appreciative of just having an opportunity to get outdoors. And, you know, a lot of times it's, you know, a totally new experience for them. So again, that recruitment side of things, you know, to get new hunters out there and, um, and enjoying the great outdoors. You can't go wrong with that. Nope. Not at all. Um, I do have a question. So when, when you're looking for individuals, uh, to bring into the, this hunt, like what does that process look like? One, um, I guess would be my first question. Well, we, we do it a couple different ways. We do have an online application. And so we've got a database of warriors spread out across the country. And so that's normally where we'll dip into first and uh, try to find a guys normally logistically close to a hunt um, or a fishing trip. And then from there, you know, we've, we've reached out to bases. We've reached out to, you know, other military nonprofits, uh, maybe in a little different dealing with veterans in a little different aspect, but um, you know, it's um, each outing that we have is unique. So, you know, you may have an outing that's uh, requires some physical abilities and others where, again, you can take a guy with, uh, you know, severe mobility issues. So we like to, again, customize who we're asking. Um, but uh, our first dip is, is going into our database with, with applications. I know with our, with the hunt that, uh, that I've helped put on, you know, we had the ability to, to do around 20 guys. And I don't think there was anyone in your database that was close enough to, to take part in our hunt. Um, and so Facebook was, was a big, you know, word of mouth and Facebook was a, good, a big help getting, getting what we, uh, getting the guys we needed, the veterans that we needed to, to do the hunt. And because of that first year was so successful, it was, it was a lot easier to get guys for the, for the second year. Yeah. And it seems like, you know, each region maybe offers a little different, uh, challenge here and there. You know, we had the same thing with a uh, hunt that we were doing in um, uh, Canton, Illinois. It was a waterfowl hunt. And, you know, we had a few applications scattered out throughout uh, um, Illinois, but we ended up bringing, uh, you know, veterans. And, and it was a little bit easier with that hunt, bringing veterans from, uh, you know, Wisconsin and Iowa and uh, Missouri up, up for that hunt because it was a two-day hunt. And you know, overnight stay, uh, with, with Corey's hunt, it's, you know, it's a, it's a half day hunt. So it's a little tougher to bring in veterans from, from outside the region for just, just a half day hunt. Um, uh, but it, it was great. It was, I, I know you had, uh, one of the ladies from your church had some connection connections with veterans and yep. it, in, in the end it came together 
was it was a little tough, but it came together really well. Yeah, I I was a little worried there. You know, we were getting down to the wire, and I only had a handful of guys, and and then but we managed to fill her up. And and what what was great too is is there was a handful of guys that I I knew or my, my parents knew or had you know had a connection to to the landowner or to someone. So it was nice you know having people there that that you recognize or that you knew well. So it kind of brought the community together. So I, Corey, I have a question for you. Um, and actually Anthony too, uh, Corey specifically for you, do you have, um, some of the warriors from last year's hunt that are participating in this year's or would be, or will be, or I, is it just you looking for new, new veterans? Um, uh, when, when I put out the word for the, the second hunt, uh, I think I, you know, at least it felt like most of the guys that participated last year called me up. Yeah, I'll do it again. I'll do it again. And it was, <laughs> I, I wished I could, could accommodate everybody, but I was like, ah, since, you know, we, I was getting so many phone calls. I, I tried to, to get the guys that hadn't veterans that hadn't participated in the year before. So we're, we're, you know, I had talks with the landowner about extending it to, to a two day, you know, doing a, a group on, Saturday and a group on Sunday, but for, uh, for this next one, it's just, we can only do, I think 24. So. Okay. And Anthony, it's sort of my, my follow on for that is, is it, do you guys bring, do you bring guys back to it? Or I shouldn't say guys only you bring individuals back for it, uh, to hunt in different areas. Or is it usually like once you get selected, you kind of go back into the queue and you guys are looking to sort of rotate around uh, other veterans. We try to rotate as much as we can. You know, there are, you know, for big group hunts, um, you know, it's maybe not as critical to, to spread the wealth. But if we're doing, uh, you know, again, I'll, I'll take the British Columbia bear hunt. Um, I wouldn't take the same guy back on that year after year. Try to pick somebody new. Um, but you know, if you're if you're doing a, you know, a big pheasant hunt or a, a dove shoot or, um, you know, something along that line, then, you know, there are guys that and gals that end up coming back, you know, a couple different times. But we try to, again, go go through and find new people, and we we get applications in, you know, every day. I get about, you know, five to fifteen new applicants a day. So, and they're, they're from all over the country. So it's not, it's normally not in a centralized area, but, um, we try to spread the wealth if we can. Let's go ahead. Will. Anthony, I had, I had a question for you. What kind of percentage of hunts are you saying take place on public land versus private land? And then how are the landowners receptive to solicitations for these adventures to helping out these service members? You know, I'd, I'd say probably 80% are on private land. Um, and then, uh, you know, as far as the landowners go, uh, most of the landowners that for opportunities that we have, you know, approach us. So, you know, they're, they're wanting to do something. They've, they've maybe even tried to reach out to other organizations over the years and just not gotten anywhere. So they're, they're real receptive. And I know there's a ton of landowners out there 
that would like to do something. They just don't know where to go, how to get started. And with us, it's pretty simple. You know, you just, you know, what kind of opportunity you're offering? Um, is it, uh, you know, is it a one day thing? Is it a, is it a multiple day event? You know, and then we just start whittling down, you know, the specifics and getting into the details of, you know, how many people and, you know, exact dates and, you know, what does lodging and food look like? And then just try to put it together. And there's, you know, there, there are a few times where we just can't put it together, but probably 90% of the time we're able to at least, you know, um, get that first outing going. And then from there, it normally grows, you know, the, the hunt that we're doing in, um, Canton, Illinois was, is a good example. We, you know, we had worked with Avery Outdoors and some of their pro staffers from all over the country were, uh, you know, offering opportunities. And, uh, you know, Steve DeMaster was one of those. So we did, an, you know, for four years, we did an annual hunt with him where we'd take four, you know, four veterans, two to four veterans um, to sit in the, in the goose pit with him. And then, uh, you know, last year he said, hey, I've got a bunch of friends and and uh, connections you know they they hear about what a great hunt it is so we want to make it bigger so you know we went from his single pit to you know i think we had six or seven pits and we were able to take 30 guys and uh so it's it's normally once once a landowner um sees what it does and he, he can watch the transformation right before his eyes you know veteran may come in there and he's you know shy and and uh, kind of sits in the corner keeps to himself and then by the end of the hunt you know they're they're best of friends for life <laughs> that's good i i do want to um i know that you have a lot of you have sponsors that go in but where's the main amount of, of funding for for your organization come from you know it, it kind of comes from all over you know our our big sponsor financially is is benelli usa um they put on a big fundraiser for us every year you know unfortunately this year um it's it's normally a, a sporting clays shoot in september but uh because of covid that's canceled so we'll you know we've switched it up and they're they're gonna do an, an online auction maybe maybe two or three um but um you know money comes in bits and pieces from all over. We've never been a huge catch cash rich organization, but, um, you know, we work, work for every dollar and, you know, it'll come in and sponsorships of, you know, a hundred bucks, uh, down to, you know, a $20 donation. Now, Anthony, if somebody wanted to donate to freedom hunters, how would they be able to do that? Uh, we've got an online uh, donation button on our website at uh, freedomhunters.org and so they can just go there and click on it our address is there if they want to send a check you know we'll take goats and chickens whatever <laughs> <laughs> and uh well for all our readers out there we'll put all the the links to everything we talk about uh up in the show notes so you'll be able to just go click click the button and go straight over to the freedom hunters uh, website and, and do a little clicking around to explore. Um, I did have a question as far as 
when they go out on the hunts or uh, get out on the water fishing, are there opportunities that veterans have to, to pair up and meet and hunt or fish with, uh, with people who are leading in the industries uh, at all? Yeah, we've had that opportunity. You know, we've hunted with um, Chad Belding from uh, The Foul Life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we've hunted with um, uh, Phil Phillips. Um, he had a, a show on a while back. So we've we've had a few celebrity guests appear with us and taken a few guys out. That's good. I know that probably adds a, another little element of surprise and enjoyment, especially if you get veterans who may be, may be following that that individual it is and it's you know it's kind of funny where uh, you know some of the guys get out with um, you know outdoor industry talent and you know they've never heard of them until until the hunt <laughs> and then uh you know then they're their biggest fans after that <laughs> anthony have I, I mean you're i mean it's kind of in the name but you're definitely like military veterans focused um have you guys linked up with or done anything with backcountry hunters and anglers new armed forces initiative no i, I haven't heard of that of you know I'm familiar they, just, with, they just familiar rolled it out about a week program. ago mm-hmm. I mean, they've always had their armed forces membership but they have a an armed forces initiative now where it's uh, it it seems like it's going to be uh like its own chapter um instead of just a state chapter but uh it looks to be pretty promising especially for us active duty members who are kind of always on the move every few years. And, uh, I went through that this year trying to figure out what my next state, what their regulations are going to be like, what the, what the spots are going to be like. Um, I don't know. It might be, might be, uh, worthwhile to try and do something, not to tell you how to run your business or anything like that. But, uh, it's just nice to see that there are a lot of uh, active duty and military and veteran institutions coming up supporting us. Yeah, that's great. I know they're a great organization, so yeah. I'll have to look into that. Yeah, the uh, the the gentleman who's running it is Morgan Mason, and oddly, you mentioned that up, Colin. Is uh, I just reached out uh, via email a couple days ago to start conversations with uh, with them to see how some of our crew can get more involved. So, oh, cool. uh, kind of trying to find some gateways for us to get back and and also serve serve our own community as well. Uh, at, at the national level and, and to also to down the road, Anthony, I definitely want to talk to you and see, see what we can do to, to get more involved. You know, I know we have Corey involved as well, but I, I would like to get involved as well, but we can have oh, that likewise. conversation. We can have those conversations at another time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it went down a rabbit hole there. That's okay. That's a, that's a great thing about it being our podcast. We can talk about whatever we want. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, what what would you say, Anthony? Is probably your most memorable uh, veteran hunting or, or fishing adventure that you were involved in? Man, that's a hard one. So, <laughs> they're they're all pretty memorable. Um, you know, I'll, I'll just bring up the hunt last year. We had a pronghorn hunt down in New Mexico and um, had four veterans on the hunt. And, uh, you know, one of the guys that was in our, our truck, um, you know, harvested his, his pronghorn the first day. And, you know, it was, it was, it was a grand time. And like I say, I, I love pronghorn hunting cause you're, you know, spending a lot of truck time and just telling stories and laughing and, and making fun of each other. 
and um you know everything was was great and then uh we got back to the clubhouse and uh it uh got his got his pronghorn hung up in the cooler and um it kind of pulls me off to the side and says you know i've been in some dark times these last few days and uh he said this hunt you know really helped me out you know turned my life around and um you know i can see i can see the light again so you know those those kind of stories are you know they're hard to hard to top to be quite honest yeah it's yeah. pretty profound and definitely um you know you can you can see a person walking around on the street and you can interact them but you, you never really know what's going on inside or you know what what dark times or light times are going through so being able to facilitate a change is is awesome so i'm it i always get really really excited when i hear stories like that you know everybody has their own challenges i guess so it's good to see it is and it's um again i it, it's hard to explain to to people who aren't um hunters and anglers to to really know you know what being in the outdoors you know does does to you and and how much it helps heal so you know for for those sportsmen out there that that want to do something just take the step it's not hard um you know help helping a veteran helping an active duty person helping a gold star family member is it'll change your life forever how do you see freedom hunters sort of evolving and what goals do you have for the organization over the next say like five years or so you know my my goals are all is always growth um and opportunities um you know i'd love to um have volunteers in in every state you know we've got volunteers scattered across the country but it'd be nice to have a you know firmer base of, of volunteers uh that are actively out there creating opportunities in in each and every area of the country so you know i'd love to love to see us you know in five years you know double or tripling the amount of veterans we're getting out um getting out now so what um sorry i just lost my train of thought Corey, do you have any questions no i don't think so not put you on the I'm, spot I'm, i haven't heard you talk I'm pretty familiar with freedom hunters so i i uh i'm just trying to add to the conversation what's good you know, this Corey, this is a loaded question. Are we easy to work with? <laughs> <laughs> well, that the our first hunt that we put on, it it was it went surprisingly smooth. Like the, I I was I was scared to ask you for the amount of money that we needed to 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 put that hunt on for for twenty veterans and. You know, asking for a couple thousand dollars, I was like, "Oh, we're not going to be able to do this. This is, I'm, I'm asking for way too much." Um, but you know, there was, you had full faith in me. You, you trusted me, and we, we were able to put on a, on a great event. And then the second year, you, you, you pushed me a little bit to, to try to fund the hunt ourselves, and 
and uh, again, you had an overwhelming amount of confidence in me to be able to do it, and I had no faith in myself that that I could to <laughs> could find find the money, find the resources to to put on the hunt. But I mean, you you were you were right. We, you know, I I tapped a lot of my personal connections and people that I knew and, you know, a couple hundred dollars here, a couple hundred dollars there. And, you know, it, it added up pretty quick. And I think we, we fully funded the hunt from local donations for, for this year's hunt. And then COVID had to put a, put a little monkey wrench in the thing. But, uh, but I would say you are easy to work with and you uh, point me in the right direction and you return my phone calls and my, my numerous phone calls and my numerous emails with tons of questions. So yeah, I'd say you're easy to work with. Well, I, I just want to compliment you on, on how this hunt has come together. Um, you've put a lot of blood, sweat and tears into it and it shows it really does. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's exciting to see, um, you know, and, and once we get you doing, you know, five or six of these a year, um, you know, then I'll only ask for another 10 or 20. <laughs> I guess, Corey, are you classified as a, as a volunteer outreach coordinator? Is that? Yes. Yep. I have my own business cards and my own email address so i'm an official representative of uh freedom hunters and 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 i think that's what made the difference on getting soliciting for donations because before it was like hey send me an email at gmail.com you know i'm just this random guy but now it's like yes i have this official looking business card i have an official email address i am an official representative. And I think that, that definitely helped, you know, uh, make things go a lot smoother. I guess could, could either one of you or both of you explain sort of what outside of what we've sort of talked about, if there's anything else that a volunteer outreach coordinator does and, and how someone say, Colin, not volunteering you, Colin, but just as an example, like Colin or myself yep. or somebody wants to wants to become a volunteer outreach coordinator. Like how how does that go down? Well, the general process is we need to find somebody willing and able to do the work. Um, and as long as you're able, willing and able to do the work, um, I don't want to say would we would accept anybody and everybody, but you know we're pretty selective on, on who we take as. All right. As, Colin, as you're out here. <laughs> Colin's out. <laughs> Sorry, Colin. <laughs> yeah. Bummer. Sorry, Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry. Go ahead. You know, it, you know, when you come with a reference like that, I'm, I'm not sure what we can do with you anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty simple. You know, if a guy's, uh, you know, got some really just the fortitude to to take on an outing. It's it can be as simple or as complicated as you want it to be. You know, the hunt that Corey puts on is pretty complicated. Um, you know, it's got a lot of moving parts. Um, but um, 
you know, as far as a volunteer goes, you know, if a guy is, you know, simply has a boat and, and wants to take a guy out fishing out every now and then it's, it's not as complicated. Um, you know, you're not having to raise money to buy pheasants and, and get catering and, and, you know, bring in, you know, uh, donor gifts for, for the veterans, um, you know, which is what Corey does. And he does an excellent job at that. But, um, you know, we're definitely looking to expand, you know, volunteers across the country. And it's, it's pretty simple. You know, again, we'll, you know, more than likely it's, it's not going to, you know, start off with somebody wanting to, to host 15 hunts and, you know, 10 fishing trips. Um, you know, it'll start pretty small and slow and, and then we just build from there and every, everything's a, a new experience. Um, every outing's a new, uh, adventure to put together. So they'll all come with her with, um, you know, complications and, and stuff. So you just, we just have to work through it with, with the volunteer, you know, and, and part of the dirty work of any nonprofit is always, you know, trying to raise the funds. If, if an outing, you know, needs it, you know, there are some outings again, where again, you may not have to, to raise any money, you know, to take a guy out fishing with you and, you know, you pack a sack lunch or tell him to bring his own sack lunch. And, um, you know, there, it's not very complicated that way. So, um, you know, if, if you're interested in volunteering, I'd just say, you know, reach out to me, um, all emails on, on the website, um, come right to me. So, um, you know, info at freedomhunters.org and we can start the conversation and, and see if, if, you're a good fit for us and um, we're a good fit for you. Anthony, going with your line about wanting to reach all of the, the states here, is there a certain region of the United States that you'll have fewer volunteers or that y'all are kind of trying to break into? Collins area. <laughs> <laughs> so but, yeah. Uh, rethink your statement from earlier. <laughs> you know, we do have Corey as a volunteer, so our standards are fairly low. <laughs> <laughs> there goes that friendship. <laughs> no, um, you know, the, the Western side of the U.S. right now is um, we have very few volunteers out there. You know, I've got some volunteers and, uh, in Nevada, um, and a little bit of help, um, up in Oregon. But other than that, um, you know, west of Colorado is pretty weak. You know, I've got some volunteers in, in Utah. Um, but, um, really pretty much any part of the country is open. Uh, I guess the densest population of volunteers that we have is, you know, here in the Rocky mountain region. And then, um, out on the East Coast, um, you know, kind of spanning from uh, Virginia north. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
Here at Harvest in Nature, we are known to cook a variety of wild fish and game in a variety of ways. Probably one of my favorite methods is to cook in a smoker. Traeger Grills has some of the best products out there. Their pellet grills aren't just grills. They're smokers and ovens too. Anything you can do in the oven in your house, you can do on the Traeger. You can make desserts. You can grill steaks. You can use cast iron pans and braise tough cuts. You can allow roasts and briskets to smoke all day until they're tender and delicious. You can even use it to make jerky. Their variety of pellets are also very impressive. The different flavors of wood allow you to pair with your meat or fish or vegetables and give it the most flavor that you can create. They even have varieties created specifically for your next wild fish or game meal. If if the pheasant hunt didn't go well or I couldn't get that figured out, I was still going to do something and you know, I'm I'm always out trout fishing in the spring. So I, I thought, why not take a veteran with me? And, and like Anthony was saying, you know, a day fishing, it doesn't take a whole lot of money to do that. So that I still wanted to do that. But fortunately, the, the pheasant hunt went well and was popular and successful. So that, that's just growing. But, but I, I think anybody that has just a little bit of time, a little bit of knowledge about hunting and fishing could, could volunteer and, and, and make a difference. And I, I would add this, you know, you don't necessarily have to be, you know, the top, um, you know, duck hunting guide in the world to, to take a guy out and, and to have a successful trip. Um, you know, again, it's, it's more of the outing itself, more of the adventure, uh, more of the time in the field together. That's the important part. Um, you know, obviously everybody loves to harvest game and catch fish when they go out, but you know, that's not a real world situation anyway for most people. So, you know, don't worry about if you're not, you know, the, the, the top anything in any field, um, you know, a little bit of experience goes a long ways. Um, a lot of the veterans that I've, that we deal with, um, really have, you know, very little to no experience, um, on some of the outings we take them on. And, and, um, so it's a learning experience for them. And, and I think a lot of intrepidation about, um, you know, new hunters, new anglers is, I, I don't even know where to start. You know, I don't even know how to, you know, tie a hook on a line. So, you know, I can't go fishing cause I don't know, you know, what kind of fishing pole to have. So I, th I think if, if you can get anybody over those first hurdles of, um, you know, being scared of getting out outdoors, um, you know, you're going to change, change their life forever and expose them to, you know, a new sport, um, you know, that again, that they can share with their friends, family, and, um, you know, ground themselves again. I think, yeah, that opportunity to, to show, I, I challenge every outdoorsman out there, outdoorsman, outdoors, woman, sportsman, sportswoman, angler, hunter, all that. Like it, it, it's a responsibility of all of us to, to find someone to, to pass on our outdoor passion to, 
I, I absolutely 100% agree that and you don't have to have children to do that. You don't have to have grandchildren to do that. You can go and connect with people and meet people and show them the outdoors. Like if, if your personalities work well together, like I have no better friends than the people I hunt and fish with in, in all honesty. And it, I think those opportunities are out there and there are people just like you mentioned, Anthony, who may not know how to tie a hook and it could be the simplest thing that you create a connection with and you guys are bonded for life. So, um, that's kind of one challenge I have for, for our listeners to, to think strongly. All right. So, um, with this sort of being the summer season and the grilling season, I want to change gears here a little bit and talk about some recipes that we have up on the Harvest in Nature website because everyone who listens to this podcast, everyone that's read an article written on Harvest in Nature or talked to us in some form of social media or phone calls or emails or whatever know that uh, I like to tie everything to food. And I think everybody that that revolves around our little group ties everything to food. So I'm going to take this moment and, and tie our hunting stories into food. So, um, a couple recipes that I want to talk about this episode. Uh, the first being we've talked a lot about antelope hunting and, uh, there's a lot of back and forth and debate in the, in the hunting world on the taste of antelopes, but I don't want to get into that because, uh, as many of you know, I'm a huge antelope fan, but I do want to talk about making some uh, antelope sausages. And I like to take these antelope sausage and use a good, uh, it's a Cajun recipe. So we're making antelope on Dewey and you can throw those on a grill. You can put them in gumbo. You can do a ton of stuff with them. Super simple to make. One of, I think the, the points that people sort of struggle with or get a little nervous about is with this, you're using um, some tender quick, which is a curing agent inside the meat that just helps uh, prevent bacteria growth. And it also gives it that the meat, that nice pink color that you see in, in those sausages. So with this recipe, uh, as with all recipes, the, the link to it will be in the show notes, but you're going to use about three, three pounds of ground antelope, uh, some pork sausage casing. You're going to mix in some pork fat or whatever fat you like. If you don't like to mix in fat at all with this recipe, you can. Um, it's just going to end up with a different consistency. Uh, over on the Meat Eater website here recently, they just posted uh, a recipe involving uh, basically a sausage with without fat in it at all. And it, this sort of stems from that same train of thought, uh, although years years ahead of that article. Um, I will point out, <laughs> but, um, the combination of spices you're sticking to your standard sort of Cajun mix. So cayenne, paprika, garlic, black pepper, crushed red pepper. Uh, I did add uh, filet powder in there. Uh, you'll see the spelling. It looks like file, but it's really filet and that's a uh, ground sassafras. Uh, you'll find that in a lot of variations of Cajun and Creole cooking. Uh, so it adds some good flavors in there. So once you get that done, you know, let it, the sausage, you fill the sausage in the casing, let them cure overnight, and then you're going to put them in the smoker. Uh, once you put them in the smoker, uh, you can allow them to cool and they're pretty much, you can freeze them until they're ready to use. Uh, I use this in a nice uh, gumbo, a rabbit and antelope on Dewey gumbo that I made after, but you can definitely throw them on a, a hot dog bun or make sandwiches out of them and they'll be equally tasty. 
So the next recipe uh, that I have is um, being down here in Florida and uh, Will being from Texas, we have a, a huge problem with wild pigs. They're everywhere. So this uh, recently stumbled into some wild pig meat and uh, was actually found some insp inspiration for this recipe from a, uh, a YouTube video from Mark Healy where he was taking bonefish and making bonefish burgers, which uh, there's a lot of debate about the edit the uh, – people being able to eat bonefish. <laughs> so I couldn't get the words out there. But um, regardless, uh, I found some inspiration in that recipe and used some of the same ingredients he did in that. But instead of the fish, I used the wild pigs. So you're using green onions, grated carrots, and minced ginger, ginger with uh, an egg as your and panko crumbs as your binder. So pretty simple. Mix some spices in there, form your patties, and throw it on the grill. Uh, it was absolutely outstanding. And the last recipe I want to talk about there, we have a, an awesome trio of, of burger recipes on the website since we're talking a lot about grilling in the summertime. So you're looking at black bear uh, burger, which it's kind of our, I would say our flagship recipe for harvesting nature is a black bear burger with blueberry barbecue sauce. And uh, it's absolutely monumental. If you haven't stumbled across that recipe, I recommend going and checking it out. We also have a, a cheese-stuffed venison burger and then a wild salmon burger. So you're taking uh, fresh wild-caught salmon and running it through the grinder uh, and making your patties, which not a lot of people think about grinding fish meat. It's definitely doable and um, – gives you an interesting consistency to work with much like ground meat. So hope you guys all check out those recipes and yeah, really delicious fire up the grill. It's barbecue season, but um, I want to do a quick around the room as I was talking about that to see if anybody had any, uh, any last thoughts or alibis. Uh, so Colin, I'll start off with you. See if you're good. Yeah, just one thing. I'm um, touching on the whole theme of this of this episode, uh, talking to Anthony from Freedom Hunters, and uh, something that you mentioned also, Justin, is like all it takes is one person to reach out and and take another person hunting. Um, I mean, I wouldn't have gone up to the Everglades or South Florida with by myself if it wasn't for you taking me out. So even here in this little, I mean, this little circle, we have that. Um, so it's very easy just to be like, Hey man, you, you want to go duck hunting? Like, you know, see what happens. And Anthony, thanks for coming on. It was great talking to you. You have a great organization. I'm looking forward to keeping up to date with uh, the events you have going on and, and seeing what we can do to help out. No, Colin, I appreciate it. It's, um, you know, it's been a pleasure talking with you guys, getting to know you. Likewise. Yeah. Corey, last thoughts. Uh, just kind of echoing what Colin said is, you know, I try to get get as many people as I can started into hunting. My my one friend that I met at graduate school bought his first hunting license last week, and um, it's one of the reasons I I um went with Freedom Hunters is so my I could get my brother in law back out hunting again. You know he was active duty in the Marine Corps for twelve years, and you know. It comes from a family of hunters 
and I only had the opportunity to hunt with them once or twice. So, you know, it was a, it was a good excuse to get out there. And, and even though I wasn't carrying a gun, um, to get out there and, and do some hunting with them and, uh, having a good time. But I, I appreciate Anthony coming on, talking about freedom hunters and, and, uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to many more hunts in the future, um, with freedom hunters as, as a sponsor, as a, as a uh, partner, uh, and putting them on. So thanks, Anthony. Oh, Corey. I mean, you've been a, a godsend and I do appreciate everything that you do and the heart and soul that you put into, uh, you know, putting on the pheasant hunt and, you know, it's, um, it, it's refreshing. It, it's exciting. Nice. Uh, Will last thoughts. Yeah. I appreciate y'all having me on and, uh, Anthony, I, really appreciate what you're doing there with freedom hunters. It's a very admirable work you're doing there, helping these veterans out, helping them, you know, find their place back here at home in the U S and, uh, just appreciate being able to be here and hearing everybody's opinions. And, uh, again, thank you, Anthony. Thanks, Will. It's, uh, you know, again, appreciate all of your guys service and continued service. And, um, you know, it's protecting our freedoms is huge. And, um, you know, especially nowadays, it seems like, um, I'm not sure the whole world appreciates what you guys do, but, um, we sure do. Thanks, Anthony. Um, do you have any last comments for us? That was, that was a pretty resounding comment. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'll go ahead and, uh, I'll say this, uh, thanks for everybody for listening. Beginning of season two, I promise, uh, going into it, it's going to be really awesome. We've got a great lineup of guests. We've got some great topics planned out. And uh, I'm really excited to see the growth of the podcast over the next couple months and the remainder of the year. Uh, our fall, all of our fall hunting seasons are starting to shape up. So you'll be seeing a lot more recipes, a lot more adventure stories, us discussing things on the podcast. And uh, as always, our show notes are online. So you can go there and click the links. Go visit Freedom Hunters on their website. Uh, connect with them on social media. Uh, you know, like Anthony said, those emails go straight to him, so you're able to to reach the man in charge pretty easily uh, to ask your questions or or volunteer your time or uh, ask to be part of the the community that gets to go out and go hunting. Also, head over to social media and check out Harvesting Nature as well. Uh, for those who don't know it, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that jazz, and then. Uh, Go ahead and subscribe to our podcast if you're not. Put out great content, as you know, and uh, smash that five-star button. Leave us a good review. Let us know what we're doing wrong, what we're doing right. Thank you. Have a good night.